better to give than receive. And what does that look like for Joseph? 
One thing is, he was the first human to hold and catch that baby boy. They were alone in a stable in a town where they hadn't lived. Uh, Joseph's family was from the area of Bethlehem, but they show up and have this baby in a, a stable. And there wasn't a group of people to help. And there's Joseph delivering his first baby. In his hands were the first ones to hold the Lord Jesus Christ, both God and man. I want us to go right to Matthew chapter 1 and read his perspective, his encounter with this news of Jesus coming to earth and how it affected him. Before we start reading God's word, let's pray. Jesus Christ, the word, you are the word, you're the word of life. May these scriptures today impact our minds, our spirits, our souls, and body, that, Lord, we would be transformed by your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this is done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to start with giving you some historical context about engagements, betrothals, and weddings in that day, because it is different than what we're used to in modern-day America. And so I just want to go there for a while and express some differences. If you noticed in this passage, it calls Joseph a husband, even though their wedding hadn't happened yet. And so that's the way it was. This engagement was more than an engagement than we're used to. It was a covenant-making ceremony. It would include at least two witnesses, and for them probably you know, both sides of the parents and family, maybe some friends. And 
uh, and, and it was, so it was called a betrothal. They are in covenant, and these would last about an average of a year. Usually the husband is out preparing the home and building and preparing the place that they're going to live. And uh, these marriages were usually prearranged by the parents with the young people's consent. So you can imagine growing up in Nazareth and the parents are wondering, you know, who might we want to pursue someday to be uh, the husband of our little girl. And they have friends and they probably joke about this here and there. And uh, they're praying about it. They want God's best. And and so at some point they say, hey, this family has good values. We know how they raised their little girl and their son over here. And they, they seem to, and we're praying. And then they make an arrangement and then they make a promise there. Then And when they're of age and it's time, they have this betrothal covenant-making ceremony. They say that for average, a Jewish girl would have been 12 to 16 years old to be married. And then if it was the young man's first marriage, he would have been around 18 to 20 years old. And this was so real that if that man died before the wedding uh, feast, it was a seven-day feast ceremony, that she, the woman would be called a widow. At this ceremony, there would be an exchange of money or goods or property uh, from the, the, the man's family to the woman to say, hey, we're, this is, you know, we're investing in this marriage. This is a dowry. The woman uh, family, would, they would give a dowry toward the wedding. And so this is an expensive thing, too. This is a real investment, and it's not just, uh, you know, an engagement that in a day you hear engagements breaking up, and it, it breaks our heart when we hear that. Delise and I, when we were in college, we got to witness a Christian couple from India that had a prearranged marriage. And we took a marriage class. Uh, we weren't engaged yet. We were dating very seriously, wanted to prepare for future marriage, and we took this class together. And the professor brought in a uh, one of Delisa. She was a a, a science major, chemistry uh, major, biology major, chemistry minor. Smart girl. Um, my grades went up when we started dating because <laughs> I studied a lot more in the library. She was good on me. So anyway, we were dating. We took this marriage class, and this chemistry professor came in to speak that day from India. We know one of these. These, these really smart guys, and his wife is there as well. And they both tell the story how they had a prearranged marriage, that their parents came together, they came, and they met each other just a couple of times. They gave consent, and all this was a prayerful uh, uh, you know, season in their life. It was done under prayer before God, and they believed this was God's will, and they had, they had a beautiful marriage. Uh, my dad went to Africa a lot, and, uh, and he went on medical mission trips for a number of years. Then he would, just, he would do, take teams of people, just go minister in the community. Uh, Zaire, which is now called the Congo, is one of the nations he went to often, and, and a couple others. But uh, Malawi was where he uh, went for about the last uh, 10 or 12 trips of his ministry. And mom went with him 
on many of those trips. I got to go one time to Malawi, and it was in uh, 2009, I believe. And I was, it's a, though it's a very poor country, they have a high value of education. And even in their culture, they had prearranged marriages and dowries. And so I'm talking to this young lady. We had a group of young people, and I, they took me on a hike. And so I got to know them and had some good conversation. This is an educated young woman and, and, and asked about what does a dowry look like? For them, it's usually some kind of livestock. And so I was at, well, what does a really good dowry look like? Well, you know, a cow is a really good dowry. And two cows, I mean, that's quite a woman to be married right there. And so that model is actually still used in some cultures today, and the Scriptures don't give specifics on how to do that, that one is better than the other. So let's just say, wow, God can work through that. But I like to use my imagination in these stories about Mary and Joseph because we get this context of history. We don't know exactly what happened but all it says in verse 18, she was found to be, uh, to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's quite the statement. What did that look like? Well, probably, you know, the engagement included the parents and that kind of covenant. So probably uh, Mary's parents called a meeting uh, with Mary and Joseph and Joseph's parents. And they're in this house and they're nervous and they're shaking, you know, they're just... Nervous houses is going to turn out, and Mary is just looking at Joseph's face, and then somebody, probably the dad of Mary, says, she's with child of the Holy Spirit. What happened in that moment? Mary's looking in the eyes of Joseph. There's, what? <laughs> what? what? You know, he's probably just laughing. Is this a joke or something? What? Just, no, no, this is real. She is pregnant. But it's not with the man, it's by the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, we wonder some of the details in there. I think Mary's parents did believe her. I think because of Elizabeth, their cousin, who Mary spent three months with, and they had also a, a, a miracle baby in a sense that she was barren and in her old age had a child. And, and the Spirit of God showed that, yeah, this is the Lord in Mary's womb. And so I believe Elizabeth... And Zacharias was able to convince her parents this is real, but it didn't convince Joseph and his parents. And so what we have is this next statement in the story that he plans on divorcing her secretly, not making her a public example. Those are loaded words. We kind of really don't understand all that this is and he's a just righteous man and he's showing her mercy because there was a two options he could go with this he could make it a public divorce where he goes to a judge to say this is what happened this was not my fault this had nothing to do with me and my judgment i want my reputation to to remain uh, uh with good character and i want my money back I gave at the engagement, and I want to keep this uh, dowry that was given to me for what I'm going through. And then you, the judge and the elders, do what you want with her, which could have been stoning. That was the Old Testament 
punishment for adultery was stoning. Now, in this time, in the gospel periods there in Jesus's day, that was really rare that that actually happened. It could have happened, but at least she would have been shamed. She would have been labeled an adulterous woman with a child, and it would have been very hard for her to get married someday. She would have had struggled with poverty for the rest of her life as she's raising this little boy. So he decides to do this secretly, meaning you still have to have two witnesses and still have have a signed document. But can we say that Joseph's expectations have suddenly changed? His plans are now all up in the air. This was drama upon drama. His hopes and dreams to have this young, beautiful uh, Jewish gal as his bride, the mother of his children, to have one of these uh, picture-perfect, Instagram picture-perfect life with this young family. They had had great pictures taken at the engagement time. They were all smiling, and all that is done. He was in crisis crisis management, trying to keep it contained. Let's not get the gossipers in the town to hear about this. This is going to be so embarrassing for all of us. What kind of emotions have they been feeling? Sudden shock, intense emotion, tears and weeping on both sides. Great disappointment that Mary has let everybody down. And we were going to have a great life together. When did anger start brewing in him that everything is suddenly changed? What I had hoped for is gone. The white picket fence, playing football in the backyard with the boys, playing with the girls in the kitchen and the dolls, me telling them stories about our family line. The line of David will come a Messiah through one of our children, grandchildren, great. One day God's going to bring a Messiah and David, our father, was a great warrior and poet and psalmist. What expectations have crashed in his life? So I want to spend some time today addressing this phrase that's often called unmet expectations. It's just not supposed to be this way. This pain and hurt that I'm going through. It wasn't in my plans. God, why is this happening to me and my family or marriage or business, my career? And it's an unmet unmet expectation can be described as what, what do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should do? Things are not turning out. What do you do when things are not happening like you, you planned? For one, in this shock, in this pain, we often say, often say, why God? And out of exasperation, out of desperation, we even yell to the sky, why God? There's a debate on whether that's healthy spiritually or not. I want to give you my view on that. 
that when we express to God our honest feelings and thoughts, that's actually healthy. That's actually taking the grief and sorrow in us and we're expressing it to God or those we trust. And that's called mourning, what I call mourning well. What happens, though, and the problem comes when we keep saying, why, God? And in our house, in our hearts, we're actually vowing, if you don't give me a sufficient answer, God, I'm going to be even more mad. Why, God, and you keep saying it over and over to the point you go, you're really vowing that if anything like this happens again, God, I'm out. And what can happen when we put these uh, ultimatums before God, our heart is getting callous. Because we're demanding for God to give me an answer. Show me why, or don't ever do anything like this again, or I'm out. And actually, what's happening is our heart's getting calloused and harder and harder. And we don't see that God is working. He's he's providing His Holy Spirit call to comfort, to comfort us. He's providing us uh, grace in the time of trial. He's providing us intimacy in those moments of sorrow where we're broken before God and we sense a closeness in the midst of the sorrow. He's offering wisdom in the time of suffering, a wisdom that we haven't had before, a new perspective on the greater, more valuable things of life. And we can't see all of it because we're still saying, why God? And we're just getting angrier and angrier at him. Joseph was at that decision point. What do I do? What option do I take? Do I really want to be the dad of someone else's child? I don't even know who the father is. See, he didn't believe it was by the Holy Spirit. And he is probably walking through the village going, looking at the eyes of the men in the village. Was it you? Was it you? Was it you? Who was it? Who was it? It must have been that guy around the corner. I know he always had a crush. It was him. I bet it was So there is this very deep and real surrender in the place of our hearts in times of suffering. Are we going to let God work in the midst of these circumstances, these unmet expectations? Verses of Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10 are just the first couple of lines of what people call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer where Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. And he said, In this manner, therefore, pray, O Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, in the midst of this pain and suffering, I don't understand it, but I'm going to keep praying. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And this prayer ends with this phrase in verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See, that takes a mature believer to be in the midst of pain and suffering and see and say, God, somehow, I don't understand it, but I'm praying that you will get glory through this. And one of those prayers is, God, keep my heart soft 
None of our lives have really turned out as we hoped and dreamed. Our dreams are usually of perfection. There's, there's, there's no flaws. There's no pain or suffering in our dreams. And that's, that's how we dream. That's how we hope for a good future. But either our sins and, de- and selfish decisions may have brought a great turn of events or someone else's sins against us and their selfish decisions against us have turned our life in a direction we did not expect. It was sudden. It was hurtful and painful. And in those times, that hurt and pain can turn to a hard heart if we're not careful and say, God, I need your help. I need the comfort of your Holy Spirit. You know, in the midst of these sudden changes of our life, God wants us to trust him with our future. Because God's eyes, he's looking down the future, and for him, God's future for us is still good. It's full of blessings. He's the redeemer. He's not hopeless like you feel at this time. And he can turn things around for the good for those who love God. You know, I can just imagine, again, just having fun with this and imagining what the four to five day trip was like when they suddenly have a census that uh, Joseph has to report to Bethlehem, a 90 mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from the north of the country to the south. And this is, this is a terrible circumstance. I cannot believe, why, God, why, this, my wife is really pregnant. They're probably signed. Does she go? Does she not go? You know, how are we going to do this if she does go? And why do we pack? How do we travel? And, um, and they may have had all kinds of things happen during our trip. They'd be on their trip and, and uh, something happens to the donkey, hurts his knee, and so he slows down, and so they... They, they give them a break, and so now it's not a four-day trip, it's a five-day trip, and in the night, it's, that's a really cold night. And, but this stranger traveler said, let me give you some extra blankets. And they were like, thanks a lot. Now they have to carry these extra blankets, uh, you know, because he's gone, and now they're, and, and they, they get down to the senses, and the, and the inn is totally full, and oh gosh, why God, this delay, we could have gotten in the inn, and then, and then, you know, what are we going to do? And, well, there is this stable out back I can put you in. And then what happens is, again, my imagination, is Mary ends up having intense labor in the middle of the night, and all through the light night she has labor, and the baby comes in the middle of the night. They would have woken up everybody in the inn. It would have been a disaster. She, they would have been kicked out in the middle of the night. And that stable was actually better place for them. And, and then they needed extra blankets because now they're outside, you know, and without the heat and they had the blankets. And so God actually caused the delay and gave them extra blankets because he and just uh, there could have been all these. When they look back, they say, oh, that's why we were delayed. That's why we had got the blank. That's why God just did these little things all along and really was doing his will, though at the time we were saying, why God? 
hindsight is twenty twenty, and God likes it when we do that because if we weren't thankful and grateful at the time, usually we can go back and look and say, oh, God, that was you, that was you. Thank you, thank you, and our hearts grow with thankfulness. I can imagine on that trip, uh, Mary was saying, oh, remember what the angel Gabriel told me. Joseph, don't get so upset, for nothing will be impossible with God. Oh, not, for nothing. Well, I know, I know, Mary, for nothing isn't, but I'm trying to get you in a safe. You know, it could have been a funny exchange there. The traveling for some of our staff to Dallas back in September wasn't a four to five day trip, but it was fraught with unmet expectations. And I'm just going to summarize their experience. I wasn't in their experience. Uh, there was uh, three staff members, Philip, Susan, and Julia, leaving first thing in the morning before church on Sunday to get there in the afternoon around 2, have a nap, and go to a worship concert that night. Dolores and I, we were, came to church and went later in the afternoon. Dallas is a nice, easy trip with American Airlines. You just go, it's a, it's a nonstop trip. It's like two hours in the air, boom, there. It's smooth and easy. Well, it wasn't smooth and easy for Julia, Philip, and Susan. They went to the airport, uh, were on time, and there were these major delays. They shut down the security TSA section, and there was just hundreds of people lined up, could not get through security. When they finally made it through, they missed their flight. Then they had to get their next flight uh, rearranged, and they couldn't get on our flight in the afternoon out of Louisville. They had to leave later in the afternoon out of Lexington. And so they had to come home, redo, go back, go to Lexington. That's having some delay. They finally left. They're, they totally missed the concert. That's not going to happen. And they are flying on the air, getting close to... Uh, Dallas, Texas, and the pilot comes on and say, we can't land right now. We have to circle in the air because there's a thunderstorm we can't get around. Well, by that time, Julia and Susan are just laughing. And the pilot comes on and gives another, I'm sorry, we've got another delay. And, and <laughs> they were just laughing. They had had so many delays since 8 a.m. that they just expected, you know, we might just get some more delays. And they did. And people in the plane going, what are those people on? What are they drinking? What are they smoking? They ended, had to land at another airport because they ran out of gas. They were circling around so long. They landed at the other port, got gas, got up, then... They get there to get the rental car. The rental car company's closed. It's so late at night, it's midnight. So they got to find another way to drive. They're telling the story to this uh, Uber driver, uh, taxi driver, just laughing the whole time. You wouldn't believe what happened to us today. They went to the wrong hotel, folks. It didn't stop. Instead of getting there at 2 p.m., a nice, easy, uh, nonstop flight and, and get a nap and go to the, they got there at 2 a.m., and Susan Whitehead said this. She said, I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. That's why it happened, because God wanted Susan to laugh really hard that day and just got relieve all this tension. I'm not blaming that on her. I'm, not, I'm sorry, Susan. She'll, she'll hear this and come after me. 
But in the midst of some of our daily trials, we don't see God working, and our frustration, exasperation just blocks the little ways God's grace wants to help us through this trial. And we can just get harder and harder and discouraged. I, as what I call marketplace ministry, I serve two companies in the Louisville-Lexington areas. And just a few days ago, I was in um, uh, the Fifth Third Building in downtown Lexington. And I offer, uh, through confidential conversations, emotional, personal support. It turns into often like coaching sessions or uh, something like short-term counseling sessions. And if I'm not in the conference room with someone, then I'm walking around the offices just saying hi to people, catching up, uh, seeing how they're doing and how their families are doing and things. And, and I walk by a particular office, the door is open, and um, it's the lady about my age, and, and, um, and she was watering, uh, and she wasn't working at the time at her desk, she was watering a poinsettia. So I'm standing at the door and say hello and just strike up a conversation uh, about, uh, you know, Christmas and Merry Christmas, so forth, and chit-chat a little bit, and she goes, I hate the holidays. And then she went on and she told me this story about this poinsettia. It is an annual gift from an old college friend. They don't actually talk much during the year at all, but now for 25, 30 years, she receives from him a beautiful poinsettia. And she said, this is my greatest joy during Christmas time is this poinsettia. I said to her, I'm so sorry you said I hate the holidays. And she said, you know, so much has happened during that. And she said, you know, I don't even want to talk about it. And then we chit-chatted some more and went on. So there was deep pain there. Some unmet expectations, some change in life happened, it sounds like, more than once during the holidays. And sometimes the holidays are actually the most painful time of the year for people because of the loss of loved ones. And now you're doing these very festive activities with family and friends, and yet it's actually a painful time because you're missing your loved one. The loss of a loved one can be one of the greatest unmet expectations that we experience in our lives. I want to give a little uh, crash course on mourning and grieving and what I believe in God's word, how he, God wants to work in our hearts during these times. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes opens up and Matthew 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So in God's mind, he knows we're going to go through mourning. We're going to have times where we are hurting. And he is a provision of comfort. He wants to be in the middle of that family that's hurting a loss of a loved one. He wants to be in the middle of those tears and brokenness. I believe that comfort comes from the Holy Spirit and comfort comes from the love of family and friends. That God is working by His Spirit. 
But God doesn't want our mourning to turn in depression month after month, year after year. And that is what can happen. Listen to the Psalms, chapter 23. It's actually the most read psalm in funeral messages. The first three verses go like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. That little phrase, he restores my soul, is a key promise to hold on to and believe that God wants to restore our souls. That no matter what unmet expectations and what fear or what hurt has happened, God has a way, and look what it is. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He meets all my needs. I'm going to trust him. Look what it is. It's he has me lying down in green pastures. He's feeding me in a restful, peaceful place. He gives me drink by still waters. It's God's way to give our souls rest, food, and refreshment in these times where he wants us to slow down. It's not really that wise to, well, how you doing? I know you've lost uh, this was really hard or lost or love. How you doing? Well, I'm just trying to stay busy. I'm just trying to stay busy. Now, you don't want to get too bored and you don't want to get alone and isolate yourself, right? So there can be a being busy is good. But if it's a purposeful denial of what's really where you need to go and get in some green pastures and buy some still waters, then you're avoiding and blocking what God wants to do. It is the goodwill of God that our souls be restored. But I want to throw something at you here, building off of this statement right here, that it's actually the will of our loved ones who've passed on that our souls be restored. It is not their intention that, well, I hope... uh, you know, mom or dad, I hope a uh, spouse, uh, I hope you have pain and suffering for the next five, ten. Why not 20 years and never get over by loss? That's not what they're saying. They're, they've always hoped, their loved ones, they hope the best for you. They want your, your soul be restored. Sure, nothing is the same. We have a marking in our life. This loved one passed away. There is a before that death and there's a after that death. There is a marking. There's, there's nothing that our perspectives are different. Our outlook is different. Our soul is sometimes deeper. There's a depth in us that we didn't have before. Our values change. Convictions change. We're never the same. And yet God doesn't want our hearts getting harder and harder and us moving away from Him. He wants us moving to Him and our hearts getting softer and softer. Here's another scripture passage I want you to look at carefully regarding unmet expectation and losses in our life. Psalm 30, verses 10, 11, and 12. Hear, O Lord... And have mercy on me, 
Lord, be my helper. That's a cry from someone's heart that is in pain that says, Lord, this is too much for me to bear. Have mercy on me. Be my helper. I don't know if I can even get through the day. Verse 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That's an image that's repeated in Scripture that I want you to have as my soul being restored. I don't know if you're a dancer or not. I don't know what that joy, freedom of joy looks like for you. But I want you to have an image that, oh, when I'm free to have joy, whether it's dancing, whether it's laughing, whether it's smiling with a genuine smile again, that is God's will for us in his path of restoration. Verse 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Look at that. That's that's so interesting here. I, I want to break this down. So when we're pursuing our dancing, our joy being released again, one cry out to God for help. Number two, sing praises no matter the unmet expectation. And three, give thanks to God forever. So we're singing praises, it says. And, and it can be in the midst of this same time we're seeking help, we're Singing praises. And so that, that can be emotionally hard. That can be difficult. How do we do that? It is a step of faith. I'm honoring God despite these circumstances. No matter how I feel, I'm honoring Him. I'm coming to Him with broken heart. And yet, and I plan to give thanks to God forever. Because God, fruit from all this, is to turn our mourning into dancing. I'm not saying you'll ever have, uh, you won't ever have any grieving emotions again. You'll never have a tear about it again. No, let me tell you, grieving is different for each person. It lasts different. It affects people differently. And it's usually a surprise. It's often a surprise where you're having a good day and then, boom, something just reminds you, triggers it. Your whole emotions get engaged. Those things, they're not, they're not a wrong or evil. It's just normal. Your soul is being restored and still experiencing some of these sorrows. Maybe you haven't joked around in a long time. Maybe you haven't had one of those belly laughs where it gets uncontrollable and you can't stop. God wants to restore that joy. What did Joseph do? He's asking why. He's trying to come up with a plan B here. He plans to, to, to just put away secretly to kind of protect her, contain this, and then hopefully God will give him a, a new direction and path. And that night, he has a dream. And the angel in the dream tells him, yes, this child is of the Holy Spirit. Call his name Jesus, which means which is, this, is Joshua in Hebrew, God, the Lord saves. And he's going to save his people. So they, he got a confirmation. That's the same word the angel gave to Mary. Call his name Jesus. We're talking about this is the same, the same baby, the same situation, no doubt. 
And so then he goes on with this and he doesn't know her physically till after the baby is born. So the prophecy can be true that Jesus was born of a virgin woman. So Joseph still had to obey. He had a choice. Even after the dream, he had a choice. It said he awoke and roused from sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he chose adoption as a father. When he said yes and he did obey, he chose adoption. You know, adoption in Scripture is the picture of our relationship with the Father. It's not some unusual thing that doesn't happen very often. No, it is the way of the kingdom. Let me read this passage to you. Galatians 4, starting at verse 4, says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the, the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So it's that we might receive the adoptions of sons and be full heirs. This is what Joseph steps into as a father, is I say yes to adopting this baby as my son. Ted Turner's a billionaire. He's the founder of CNN, a media, uh, you know, guru and billionaire. He's often says very anti-Christian things and in, in, uh, in, in his adult life. And he tells this story that his younger sister had a rare form of lupus and suffered great pain and suffering for five years and then died. She died when I think she was 17. He was several years older than her. He grew up in a Christian home, was planning on being a missionary as a young man, through the suffering that this family went through, the father committed suicide. And Ted Turner turned his back on God and said, I don't believe that God is real. I can't imagine the suffering he went through. And this is where his heart got hard, calloused and hard. And so here we are, We need to choose in the midst of our suffering and pain where we go for comfort and recognize, I think my heart's getting callous. Lord, help me. What did Joseph give to God in the midst of this unmet expectation? Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4 says, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Was Joseph afraid? Was was he overwhelmed with This sudden dramatic change, yes. What did he give? I will trust in you. I will give you my trust. Next verse. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. 
So there's a choice that we say, I trust you, even though I'm not feeling it right now, God. I'm trusting you. Joseph had to give God his trust. When he obeyed and said yes to God, he was giving God his trust. Trust is an elusive thing. Trust is hard sometimes to embrace. It's something our mind doesn't always understand. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. We're going to enter in a time of communion right now. And if you don't have your, your juice and cup, could you go get it? In fact, uh, Rita, could you grab me one as you're back there? <laughs> Next Sunday is going to be joyous. There's going to be singers up here you haven't seen on this stage ever before or f- for a long time. Thank you so much. You do not want to miss next Sunday our, our songs and our worship. The message, Lord willing, is going to be about the three wise men that it is better to give than receive. And we'll have a candlelighting where we'll have the children come back in from their classes Uh, at the end of the message, and then they'll be a part of our candlelighting time in here together as we continue to worship with candlelight. We'll also have a photo booth area, a spot in the gathering place for you and your family. So Joseph, his story is he gave his trust to God. He couldn't lean on his own understanding at the time. The why God question is a question of, Lord, give me understanding. Let this thing make sense. And we don't have that privilege all the time. Sometimes it comes later in the hindsight, looking back 2020, and we see God's hand working, how he redeemed things and how God didn't want it ever to destroy or ruin our lives. I'm so glad we're doing communion at the end because I am praying that as, in a sense, I give you Jesus through communion, you're going to receive healing balm of the Holy Spirit. That you are covered by His blood. And that cover, that covering of the blood cleanses us of doubts, cleanses us of pain. It cleanses our Weariness, the blood of Jesus cleanses and washes away grief that we hold on to. And it turns our hearts from harder to softer, softer to Him.
I'm going to ask y'all to dim the light some during this time as I read the communion scriptures and let us just have a time where this is really about you and your Lord Jesus. The one who loves you more than anyone else. The one, it says in Isaiah, that he's familiar with suffering. He's acquainted with grief. He knows what suffering and rejection is. And he can come along with us in these places and moments. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You just take your time to eat that bread and and drink that juice. And you let this worship song fill your heart and mind when you're ready. Let's just give this time to the Lord. Lord, bless these elements in this time that we would recognize your healing balm your holy comforting spirit and that your blood is sufficient enough to cleanse us from all of our righteousness and the unrighteousness that was done against us to set us free from guilt and hindrances and shame set us free to be joyous 